cling, from the Old English clingen, verb, to hold fast, hold on, stick together, resist, change. From the back seat of the grandson's car, the three pearls watched their neighborhood swirl away. A blanket of snow was now falling, and the night was the darkest night they'd ever seen. Black was black and white. White, there wasn't much in between until they reached the welcoming traffic of Lakeshore Drive. Peering out the window, Early thought about how lucky the other people in their cars must be. People who knew where their fathers were. People with homes to go to. People who talked and laughed as they drove. People who weren't scared for their lives. Juby was chewing a cracker when he suddenly wriggled and began to cry. We're leaving Dash behind, he wailed. He'll be lost. Summer hugged her kids, one on each side, and took a moment to reply. Dash will find us. You know he will. And tonight we're going to someplace warm where we can sleep. And you too are the bravest kids in the world. Make your dash proud now by being strong. After Summer had stopped speaking, a tear rolled down one cheek, then another, landing on Early's hand when some leaned forward to peer out the window. We're together, some, Early reminded her mother. Comforting her mom felt oddly easier than soothing herself and it felt needed. Dash would tell us to hold fast. Summer nodded her head and closed her eyes. Hold fast, she repeated slowly, as if saying a prayer to dreams, dreams. They drove the rest of the way in silence. Cling. Good Lord, some said, her arms tightening around the children. The grandson had pulled up in front of a huge police station on the north side. Right in front of them, officers opened the back of a van on a group of angry men and women. Soon, half-dressed people in handcuffs were being dragged across the snow. A woman screamed. One of the officers punched a man who tried to kick him. Don't want to go there, Juby wailed. Some leaned forward to speak with her neighbor's grandson. You've been so kind, but is there another police station you'd be willing to take us to? This looks like a bad situation, and I hate to bring the children inside here. The grandson nodded. I don't blame you. There's a big family shelter nearby. You might not have to go through the police at all. Not on a night like this. Your grandma told me that we had to call for help from a police station, though. Some said, her voice thick with worry. The grandson shrugged. Maybe not. Let's give it a try. Minutes later, Summer stepped out of the car in front of the entrance to an old three-story building on the north side of the city. On the block before, they'd passed a figure wrapped head to toe in blankets and a sleeping bag, sitting motionless inside a doorway. 
Another plodded forward in a giant coat that dragged behind, pushing a baby stroller heaped high with garbage bags. She hoped the kids hadn't seen. The temperature was kind 22 degrees. Kind in comparison to the many sub-zero nights they'd had in past weeks. But the storm was now gusting, gusting and gnawing. Well, thanks so much for your generous help, Summer said to the young driver. Once the three pearls were standing on the curb, hats and gloves on and jackets zipped to the chin. Glad to be of help. Good luck, he said and drove away quickly, as if eager not to linger in the area. Looking around, Summer couldn't blame him. This was one spooky place, all shadows and peeling paint. Well, come on, kids, let's get out of the cold, some said. She and Early picked up the bags, grabbed Juby on either side, and stepped into the entrance. Summer pulled on the door. It was locked. Then she knocked and knocked again. There was a light inside and someone sat at a small desk. That someone, a young man, mouthed, not open, and shook his head. Curfew at eight, he mouthed. It was 8.08. Summer threw her arms up. Got kids, no money, she shouted. The young man shook his head again. Cold out here, let us in. No response. Now Juby was pounding on the door. Summer picked him up so the young man could see. We need shelter, some shouted. The young, held up, the young man held up one finger and then waved a phone receiver. He gave Summer an open palm. I sure hope that means five minutes, she said. Meanwhile, we're going to stay right here where he can see us freezing and feel bad. Dang, we should have never gotten out of that car. The three huddled together. Let's sing something and jump around, Early said, like row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. Good idea. Sum's voice was a half moan. But I can't do it with my sore head. And we're definitely not Mary. How about you kids pretend to be jumping rope and I'll turn? Early nodded, chanting, One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, shut the door. Five, six, pick up sticks. Seven, eight, lay them straight. Sum spun an imaginary rope while the two kids jumped up and down, their heads bobbing in front of the shelter door. Soon, a car pulled around the corner, a police car. The three stopped. As the policeman walked toward them, taking his time, Early heard Dashiell's voice in her head, clear as clear could be, You, my girl, Early. You, my girl. But what should we do? Where are you? She asked back silently, trying to send the message as hard as she could. There was no reply. The officer said loudly, This city shelter locks for the night at 8 o'clock, ma'am. You can stay in the precinct waiting room, or 
I can take you to Union Station. That's open, and there's vending machines. Summer didn't move. If the policeman was surprised to see her bruised forehead, he didn't show it. We don't have any money, some said. My husband disappeared, and we were robbed tonight, and our home wrecked. I understand I have to call DSFF. Yes, ma'am, DSFF, the policeman said in a matter-of-fact tone, as if Summer were making some small talk about the weather. The Department of Family and Support Services. I'll take you to the closest precinct, and they'll get you three connected to a shelter by morning. In the back of the patrol car, looking through the wire mesh, Juby said, Does this mean we're criminals now? Of course not, baby, Summer said. It just means we're in hard times, but we'll be getting help, some help. When Dash will find us, Juby added, Dash will find us, Summer repeated. Or we'll find him, Early said. Summer squeezed her hand. The police station was as blindingly bright as the night outside was dark. The policeman took them over to a long wooden bench and said, This is it. Tuck your bags under your feet. For the washroom, ask at the desk and someone will take you. Over on the side, that's the phone. And here's the DFSS number. They'll send a van to pick you up as soon as possible. But, sir, I have something to report, Summer began. In the morning, the policeman said, walking back to his desk. Doesn't crime matter at night, Sum asked, her voice getting stronger. Early was glad. It seemed like talking back was sometimes helpful. The cop glanced at Summer as if she were a badly behaved child and then ignored her, focusing instead on paperwork. She continued speaking, her voice loud and clear, telling the officer what had occurred over the last 10 days. She ended by saying, something terrible has happened to keep my husband away. We're terrified, have had to leave our home, have been robbed, lost our savings, and our family has done nothing wrong. Now, aren't the police supposed to protect people like us? Early noticed that some hadn't specifically mentioned finding and then losing the strange envelope with the money in it. The cop looked up. Ma'am, we're only staffed for emergencies at night. You can speak with another officer in the morning. Better make that call now. Before Summer could say any, I'm sorry, before Summer could say another thing, the doors to the precinct burst open, and a man came staggering inside, using language so ugly that Summer covered Juby's ears with her hands and told Early to do the same. Summer could hear anyway. The man was spitting at everyone close by and then vomited right on the policeman's shoe. He was shoved roughly against a wall, and they heard the thunk of his head on wood paneling. Right after, the doors burst open again, and a group of teenagers came in all handcuffed, off balance and loud. Drunk, Summer whispered to Early. One had cuts and scrapes all over. 
Another had blood and drool coming out of the inside of his mouth. No one official seemed to be too concerned. It was almost early thought as if you weren't 100% human when you came into the police station on the wrong side of the front desk. If you were upset, it was unreasonable. If you had a question, it could wait. Just the fact that you were there seemed like a strike against you. Right then, Early made herself a promise. She wouldn't be helpless. Not ever. Not if she could see a way out. She wouldn't allow that to happen. She could see that being helpless in a situation like this was dangerously close to becoming just plain less. Some of the police were polite, but no one was sympathetic. She knew the officers were saving lives, doing hard and scary work, and sometimes even dying themselves. She knew people who broke the law deserved to be locked up, but she still felt it was true. Being helpless could lead to even less help. She thought about Alice falling down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. She'd asked for help over and over, but none of the replies got her back to where she'd started. As soon as the station quieted down, some made her call. She was on the phone for a while. By the time she returned to the bench, Juby was fast asleep, his head on Early's lap. Some sat down. Now we wait. They'll take us to a 24-hour emergency shelter when they can locate one with space. And when the DFSS van is free to pick us up, from there, some stopped talking and swallowed. Early looked at her. Some swallowed again and wiped angrily at her cheek. From there, who knows, she said. Early nodded. Some reached out and held her hand. Dawn brought a cup of milk for the kids, coffee for summer, and time with a kind policewoman. The three pearls weren't, were, I'm sorry, the three pearls were tired, but glad to be off the wooden bench and sitting in chairs. They were told that the police would go to the apartment to investigate. The officer asked if they'd be returning to Woodlawn, and when some said she didn't see how they could, the officer nodded. So you're waiting for the van? She said, the city shelters are overflowing. You'll be lucky to find any sort of temporary housing at all. Some, the officer promised, would get further guidance once they were in a facility. But, some asked, couldn't you help me with putting some pressure on the public library folks to see what happened to my husband? What's your cell phone number? The policewoman asked. Summer's face fell. My phone was destroyed by one of the men last night, the same ones who wrecked our apartment and stole my wallet. Could you reach me at the shelter? Or is there any police emergency fund I could have so that I could get a phone and get to work on all of this? I'll pay you back. I promise. I'm good for it. The policewoman looked as though Summer had asked for a manicure. I'm afraid there's no such fun, she said, pursing her lips. They'll help you apply for TANF assistance. 
once you're at the shelter, ma'am. When some looked puzzled, she added, temporary assistance for needy families. You'll qualify with two young children. She stood, making it clear that all aid had been given. Some nodded, her lip trembling. My husband will be back soon, she said. I'm sure, the officer said. Call when you get settled and give us a number. Perhaps someone at the station here can keep you informed. When the van arrived, the driver stepped inside and barked, Pearl! Anyone here by the name of Pearl? Silent with exhaustion, some early in Juby groped for their bags and left. As luck would have it, they were on their way back to Helping Hand, where they'd been the night before. The three looked out at a graceless, gray morning. Fresh snow had drifted across parked cars and sidewalks, but nothing twinkled. As the van pulled up outside the entrance and the pearls climbed out, a group of smokers parted to let them through. Morning, dear. Hi, kids, one older man said, smiling broadly. He was missing teeth and had a winter jacket mended with duct tape. Things aren't so bad now. Think, there's pancakes this morning. Get yourself a plate full. He reached for the door and pulled it open. Early noticed his knuckles were covered with scars and fresh scabs. Thank you, Summer said. You're very kind. She gave him a half smile. We've had a bad night. The man threw back his head and laughed, glanced around, and several others smiled too. Hold it at one, beautiful, and you'll conquer the world, he said. As the door closed behind them, Early heard him saying, Sad when you first see him. They don't know. If Summer heard, she didn't let on. They were inside a large room that looked like an old garage. A line of families waited for a turn at a kitchen window where each one was given a heaping plate and a glass of juice. At least 50 people sat on benches, eating over long plastic-covered tables. There were one or two fathers with young kids. The rest of the adults were women. Lots carried babies on one hip, with toddlers holding on a sleeve or leg. One woman had two kids tied with leashes to her belt, a baby in pajamas under her arm. I'm hungry, Juby said. Can we eat? Just a moment, son, some said. She filled out a form at the front desk and was told that the director would be speaking with her after breakfast. She was handed three meal vouchers. They carried their bags over to a table and put them down. Let's get in line, some said. A woman sitting several feet away said, Never walk away from anything around here unless you got eyes in the back of your head. Sump went to pick up their stuff and the woman murmured, Ah, go on. I'll watch it for you. Name's Velma. Thanks so much. Some tried to smile. As the pearls waited, someone in front of them scolded her. Young son. You stand nice now or I'll smack you. Hard. Here, I've had about, I've about had it. The boy froze, looking up at his mother every few seconds. Juby stood very quietly behind him. 
breakfast was served on a heavy paper plate with plastic fork and spoon. It was pancakes, an orange, a slice of ham, and a small box of raisins. The kids ate. Summer picked at her food. Valma looked over at her. You'll get used to it, she said. Better eat. No lunch for hours. No snacks. Where are you from? Woodlawn, Summer said. Oh, I've been in that facility there, the woman said, rolling her eyes. I was in there for ages, getting clean, bad times, lost my kids, but I'm doing much better. Now I'm getting some classes. Going to get me a job that pays, get my babies back. That's great, some mumbled, but her face said something else. Early hopes, Summer. Early hopes, some wouldn't say any more. They didn't fit here, but for purposes of survival, might be better not to show it. Every kid who went into a new grade with an unfamiliar teacher and class at the start of school knew this. Some had been taken care of by Dash for so long now that she might have forgotten. Early poked her mom. Be friendly, she whispered. Some gave her a squeeze, then turned and said, I'm Summer and these are my kids. Early and jubilation. Them's nice name, Velma nodded. Women, a guard at one side of the room called out, and a long line of single women, mostly older, formed a line behind the families, vouchers in hand. Velma stood and walked slowly toward the group, then paused to call back over her shoulder. Hold my seat. I'll be back. Some gave her a wave. Will do. The group moved forward with a hardly a word spoken. Many of the faces looked deeply lonely. Early couldn't help thinking of how much chatting happened in other lines like those at the grocery store or bus stop. The guard now called. And the men? A rippling of shuffling feet and low voices gathered in a line that snaked almost out of sight. When Velma returned with her plate, some gave her a smile, then asked, What's the best way to get help around here? Like money for a cell phone? The woman raised her fork in a circle and waved. Keep asking, she said. You can see how many are in tough times, but just keep asking and stay sweet. Little sugar takes you further than gas. If you got my meaning. She laughed with her mouth closed, a kind rumble from inside, deep inside. You don't have to be driving the car to get where you want to go. T-A-N-F can be real helpful with bus and train tickets. Maybe a phone once you get a job or signed up for classes like that. Classes and things like that. Be a squeaky wheel. But talk nice, some nodded, smart. You got it, honey. Velma leaned close and gave her a warm smile. She was missing both front teeth. Need any advice? Just ask. I'm usually in here most mealtimes. When Velma stood to leave, Early noticed that the woman had a bad limp and men's army boots on. She also had a, a too small pink scarf around her neck, the kind usually worn by a little girl. The director at Helping Hand, Mrs. Happity, had bouncing gray hair and colorful butterfly earrings, but no other jewelry. Deep lines crisscrossed her forehead. <coughs> okay, if your kids come into the office with us, she asked. Absolutely, some said. Excuse our messy hair. We don't have a brush with us. Left in kind of a hurry last night. Mrs. Happity waved one plump hand. Please, not a problem. I'll give you a hygiene kit in a moment. And you all can get cleaned up. 
Some told her the story beginning with Dashiell's disappearance. The director took notes. So in terms of what you need immediately, it's access to a phone so you can set up appointments and some transportation passes so you can get around. The shelter phone may be used for your best bet for a while. I'm afraid there's a long list for cell phone contracts. Okay, some said. So do we have a home that is until the end of the month if we don't pay the landlord? But that doesn't even matter now. Because it's been destroyed, some stopped. There was a moment of silence. Maybe we don't have a home anymore, she said, her voice barely audible. The landlord will probably take the rest of this month's rent to cover the wreckage. One step at a time, Mrs. Happity said. Once you're employed or signed up for job training, we can get you on a list that will eventually move you from a shelter into subsidized housing. I can connect you with childcare options, but meanwhile, you three will be fed and out of the weather. Now, your daughter, while you're figuring out what choices you have, we can bus her back to Woodlawn to her school, or she can attend around the corner. There's a very nice school that a lot of the kids here choose to go to. All schools' expenses, like field trips and meals, will be covered as long as you're in one of the city shelters. Some looked at early. I don't want you to have to leave your friends, but I'm not sure we want to be worrying about a long bus ride. What do you think? Early thought the closer... She stayed to some and Juby, the better. I'll go to school here for now, Early said. Mrs. Happity nodded approvingly, and some told her, thanks for getting Early up, set up. Do I have to go right away, Early asked. Mrs. Happity said, better just stay busy, dear. You don't want to get behind. I'll make some phone calls and see if we can get you in this week. Meanwhile, shelter meals are on a strict schedule. Families with children are first in line, followed by those from the women's and men's, then men's shelter across the street. There's a weekly sign-up for cleaning the bathrooms on your floor. Lights out, no talking or noise of any kind in the dormitory area after nine. Fighting, argumentative behavior, or substance abuse will land you out the door in a split second. No worries about that, some said faintly. Early imagined that her mother was picturing each of these things happening just as early was. Mrs. Happity was trying to be helpful, but what she was saying was also scary. Here's what to expect in case you're with us for a bit. If you and your kids are well behaved, we'll put you on the list for a private room to sleep in. That is, if you stay the full 12 weeks we offer or even a little longer. Meanwhile, there are a lot of families to make friends with here and I'm always around. Any guard can page me. If one of you gets sick, we'll connect you with the medical care. Chicago Hopes, a wonderful after-school tutoring organization, keeps a room here with books and games in it, a place to get homework, help, and someone on one on, and some one-on-one -on -one attention. All your kids have to do is show up. No planning involved. Also, you'll be meeting with counselors on a bi-weekly basis. They'll help you make a plan that'll get you back on the road to independent living. Half an hour later, they were taken to a bed and dresser cluster in a low open room the size of a basketball court on the second floor. The floor was chipped, worn linoleum, gray with streaks of red, cloud-shaped stains, brown instead of white, drifted across the ceiling overhead, the shapes broken here and there by a bar of neon lights. Supplies included sheets for the two sets of bunk beds, three brown blankets sealed in plastic, two white towels, two rolls of toilet paper, and three plastic kits with a toothbrush, toothpaste, mouthwash, and a small brush, a comb, and a bottle of liquid clothes detergent inside. The windows in the room were small and covered with broken blinds that hung at jagged angles. 
A female guard sat on the chair in the corner. So this is your cluster, Mrs. Happity said. Make yourselves comfortable. Oh my, some said. Thank you. Wish we had our things from home so that you wouldn't have to lend us all this. Where do we store our stuff? Here, Mrs. Happity said, in the dresser. Carry any jewelry or money on your person. Breakfast starts for families at, at 6.30. Lunch at 11.30. Dinner at 4.30. Each meal lasts for one hour, sir. Second servings on holidays only. You can hang your towels over the ends of the beds to dry. There's a washer and dryer on the first floor. Know where your kids are at all times and never leave the shelter without them. Boys older than 10 aren't allowed... Inside the open sleeping area, boys 12 and up aren't allowed to stay in the family area of the shelter at all. You can use the shelter phone to make 15 minutes of calls anytime between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. But sometimes there are lines, local calls only. It's just up the stairs on the third floor and patience and politeness go a long way. Everyone's call is important. Exhausted after their night in the police station, Juby lay on one lay down on one of the bare mattresses and immediately fell asleep. Seeing that her mother was nearly was near tears, Early patted her on the back, although she felt like crying too. This big, spooky open room with lots of strangers, a new school. I feel sad too, some said. She's some I feel sad too, she said. Her mother sat right up. Of course you do, she said. I'm so sorry. Let's get ourselves settled in here. We'll Wake Juby in an hour or so, and meanwhile we can freshen up. You go first. Walking across the room to the bathroom, Early saw that some families had tied sheets around the sides of their bunks for privacy. Others had hung comforters or shower curtains. The sleeping cluster looked like a bunch of kid forts. Something you'd do for fun if you had a bunk bed at home. The buzz of radios came from inside a few of the clusters. An occasional leg or arm was visible, hanging off a bed or holding a magazine. Early saw an ankle with a rose tattoo and the message, Live for Love on it. A baby lay on a bunk, swatting at toys, hung from the wire mesh above. A tiny girl with her hair ponytailed up in a pink frilly ribbon sat in a walker, rolling herself as far as a clothesline tied to the bunk would allow. She stopped to watch Early go by, popping one finger in her mouth when Early smiled at her. A boy Juby's age peeked out of a bed near the bathroom and pointed a wire coat hanger at her. Pow! Pow! Gotcha! He said. He pointed. She pointed her plastic hygiene kit back at him. Bang! She said, delighted. He fell off the bed and rolled beneath it. Early then heard him being dragged out from under an impatient voice and told to sit nice and behave. She then heard a slap followed by whimpering. She felt bad, having gotten him in trouble. She'd have to warn Juby. It didn't seem like play was allowed by some parents. Inside the bathroom, a woman muttered to herself as she washed her hands over and over. Not fair, she was saying. He didn't listen. Just turned and left, left me all alone. I had to, just had to do it. No choice, not fair. Early hadn't realized she was staring until the woman looked up and said directly to her, Never believe him. Those wolves start with the nesting, and then when you got everything nice, they just go wandering. Always do in the end. 
Yes, ma'am, Early said, and hurried into the shower. She kept trying to shut the curtains firmly, but it drifted open. She saw the woman looking at her, just one eye reflected in the mirror over the row of sinks. Always do, she said again. As Early left the bathroom, the woman was still washing her hands over a sink, over a full sink, the water puddling around her sneakers. <laughs>